The word of our Lord from the Gospel of John. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. So Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God who is to come into the world. When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose and quickly uh, came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with Mary in the house comforting her when they saw that she rose up quickly and went out they followed her saying she is going to the tomb to weep there then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him she fell down at his feet saying to him Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died therefore when Jesus saw her weeping And the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray that you would help us to think Clearly this morning, as we wrestle with this topic of suffering, we pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. There are times when words fail us, when we don't know what to say, we don't know whether we ought to say anything. And those times are typically when life brings us suffering. Suffering is personal. Suffering has a unique ability to shake us to our core. When events like the attacks of 9-11, bombings in London, shootings, whether they be in Paris or Brussels, News of terror going on globally and daily. And many, many times we are unaware of even what all is happening. Uh, 
parts of Africa and Asia. When we hear news of that sort of, of, of suffering, we don't know what to say. We don't know where to begin. We don't know how to process. The most recent massacre in Orlando leaves us wrestling with questions that are bigger than us and bigger than, than the, the quips that we can offer. When we read in history books about the devastation of a war like World War I, which was supposed to be the war to end all wars, we realize that there's an awful, awful lot of suffering in the world. The footage of Vietnam where warfare is graphically displayed on the evening news, suddenly, suddenly suffering is front and center in life. Terrible, terrible suffering. This past Friday, just eight-tenths of a mile from our house, a lady walked into a home and shot and killed her daughter-in-law. Right across the street from John and Lori's. Pain suffering and death when they hit close to home we realize how feeble we are and how feeble our words can be when we deal with them generally speaking there are two kinds of suffering in this world that we want answers for we want answers for pain and we want answers for death Those are the two biggies. Why is there pain? Why do we die? The scriptures tell us that this two-headed monster originated in sin. That because sin is now in the world, pain and death are now part of this world. And what makes this two-headed monster even more terrifying is when it brings with itself its two most ghastly weapons, innocence and intentionality. What do I mean by that? When the innocent suffer, it seems to be even worse. The suffering of children... The suffering of those who've done no wrong. Who didn't realize they were going to be in harm's way. What do I mean by intentionality? When suffering, particularly when pain and death, are inflicted on purpose, we recoil in terror. Now, when innocence and intentionality are both at play during pain or death, that's especially when this two-headed monster is, is its most terrifying. Suffering that is intentionally inflicted upon those who are innocent. That's when it gets really bad. What the Scriptures have to say 
about suffering is the topic that I'll be working through this morning and over the course of the next two Sundays. Suffering this morning, we'll look at suffering as an unmistakable reality and some common mistakes made about it. Next week, being the first Sunday of the month, we'll be dealing with suffering in the light of Holy Communion. Does Holy Communion, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, does that say anything to us about suffering in this world? And then in the following week, we'll be dealing with how we as Christians should engage a suffering world. Especially, how should we engage those who suffer? I'll be honest with you, I've, in my life I've not known much suffering compared to many, perhaps even compared to many of you, but I've known some suffering. I've, uh, because of death, I've said goodbye to all four of my grandparents. And I want to share with you just three stories in my life that have ended not well. It was the summer after fourth grade, and I was 10 years old, and I had a friend named Joey Jones. And Joey and I had been pretty good friends for the last couple of years. We had run the neighborhood together. We, he, uh, he lived just uh, down the road and across the bridge, uh, across the ditch, and around that corner. It, it's strange. We used to, row, I was 10 years old, and I was crossing ditches and climbing through sewers and riding skateboards down sewers and all sorts of things. And he, um, his, he lived with his grandparents, and he had a three-wheeler and a four-wheeler. And on that three-wheeler and four-wheeler, we'd ride all over town. You, you don't ever picture me being one to ride three-wheelers and four-wheelers. But we, we did, 10 years old. And I remember sitting at, uh, at my friend Tri Smith's house. He lived just a couple, of, uh, a couple of houses over from us. It was late in the evening. It was, I believe, a Saturday evening. I believe it was a Saturday evening. And Trice and I were just hanging out, playing, doing our thing, doing whatever 10-year-old boys do. And um, uh, Trice's mom was there. And I, I remember we walked in the living room, and my parents were there. And I thought it was kind of odd. Not that my parents never hung out with Trice's parents, but it just seemed odd. It was at the end of the day. It was late in the evening. And they said, boys, we got to tell you something. I said, what's that? And they said, Joey has been killed in a car wreck. He and his dad had been spending the day down at the reservoir on the water, uh, something that was, you know, common activity. Um, and on the way home, his dad lost control of the car, hit a tree, and Joey was killed instantly. Now, at 10 years old, uh, it's kind of hard to process that sort of event in life. And I remember the most difficult thing was processing at the funeral home, going to the visitation and then the funeral. I remember thinking that this just doesn't seem real. This doesn't seem right. This this seems like a dream, a, a nightmare. Fast forward about eight years. It was two months into my freshman year uh, at college. The day that my friends and I were moving into Harrelson Hall, the, the men's dormitory at Wesley College, the day that we were moving in, 
there was a guy who uh, lived right across the hall who was moving in that very same day. And uh, he seemed like the nicest guy. He came over, introduced himself, said, Hi, I'm Brian. I said, Hey, I'm, I'm Adam. We got to know each other before even unpacking bags. We were hanging out, talking music, and ended up over the course of the next couple of months exchanging CDs. And it was fall break. And uh, uh, he had come back home here to Atlanta. He was from the Atlanta area. And we had mutual friends, or what developed into mutual friends that I didn't even know of yet. And at the end of the fall break, he was driving back home to, uh, uh, to, to the dorm. And probably a mile away from the dorm, lost control of his car and hit an oncoming car and was killed. I didn't know him all that well, but in those two months that he and I had gotten to know each other, I realized that he was an incredible, incredible young man. He was, I still have some CDs that he gave me. We spent an awful lot of time in those couple of months talking, hanging out, getting to know each other. And I remember when Brian Isley was killed, in that car wreck, I thought, this doesn't seem real. Seven years later, during my third semester in seminary, Lindsay had driven me to class and Imogene was just a baby and uh, I walked out of class I came through the library and I was waiting at the portacache right uh, behind the library and uh, after a few minutes Lindsay comes pulling through and I get in the car and she said we've got to go to the hospital I said what's wrong she said said, Michael's been in a really bad accident, and he's not going to make it. Several of you knew Michael Barnes. I mean, it wasn't just uh, a few years before that that he came to visit me and stayed in the basement of Bill and Jan's house. John knew him. I spent some good time with him. Um, he was one of mine and Andrew's best friends and uh, you all know Jeremy and Billy he was married to Billy I checked with her this week to make sure she wouldn't mind me sharing a little bit of this story Suffering is never fun. It always hurts. And one of the things that seems almost inescapable when we suffer are the questions that we begin to ask. How could this happen? Why did this happen? Why why did this happen, Lord? Why did you let it happen? 
like Mary and Martha, notice both of the sisters tell Jesus, if you had only been here, our brother would still be alive. Suffering makes us wrestle with really tough questions. It shakes us to our core. The long title of this sermon series is What God Says When Words Fail. And before we get any further down the road, I want to first address a few things that God does not say. I want to dismiss from our thoughts some very common myths that we often happen or that we often hear about and we often are confronted with. And the first thing that God does not say is He does not say, I made that happen. God is not the author of sin. God does not delight in suffering. Making God the scapegoat only takes away our only comfort. He's the only one who can hold us when the world is falling apart. And so to blame Him for the world falling apart does us no good. It gives us no comfort. This does not impugn God's sovereignty. This does not impugn God's omnipotence. It does not not cross some theologically inappropriate line to say there are some things that just happen in life. And they're not fair and they're not good and they are not God's will. It is not God's will for the innocent to suffer. It is not God's will for good people to die horrible deaths. Now we, rarely do we we say, oh well God made this happen. But we will instead try to couch it in much more comforting vocabulary. We'll say things like, well God just needed another angel. As though God had to take that four-year-old and couldn't find another angel. Or we'll say, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. And you know what? Yes, everything does happen for a reason, but some reasons are pretty terrible. And some reasons are motivated by sinful people who do sinful things and inflict the consequences of their sinful behavior upon others. This does not mean that we live in a world that is out of control, that is filled with chaos, but it does mean that we live in a world where bad things can happen. Because God created us to be free. And with freedom comes the possibility of great good and great harm. Another thing that God does not say is He does not say, pay no attention, nothing to see here. God does not hide the darkness from us. He does not pretend as though it's not there. He does not call us to ignore it. In fact, to ignore the darkness is to live a lie. 
The darkness is there. We get nowhere by denying evil, by denying death, by pretending that they aren't as horrible as they really are. God also does not say it's no big deal in the scheme of things. Death is a big deal. Pain and suffering is a big deal. Escapism gets us nowhere and it gets us nowhere fast. We cannot escape suffering by pretending that it's not all that important. Those are some of the things that God does not say in the midst of suffering. But there are some things that God does say. He says, I know. He is not unaware of our suffering, nor is he oblivious to it. He knows. He is the God who always knows. I don't know that I ever noticed this, and I I took a a whole semester of uh, just the Gospel of John in seminary. I'm sure it's a professor at some point has pointed this out, but it occurred to me in a new and a fresh way this week that you've heard me mention that in the early chapter of of, uh, John's Gospel, in the first chapter of his Gospel, that you have this phrase that's recurring, come and see. Remember Philip and Nathaniel? Hey, there's, we think we found the Messiah, Jesus from Nazareth. Really, is anything good coming out of Nazareth? Nazareth, Come and see. The disciples approach Jesus. Where are you staying? Come and see. And you've got that, that repeated refrain. Come and see. Inviting you into the text. Inviting you into this, this story. When Jesus asked the townspeople, where have you laid Lazarus? Their reply to him is, Lord, come and see. God does not stand far off from our pain. He does not hold himself back from our suffering. He is the God who is well aware. He is the God who says, I know. He is the God who has answered that invitation to come and see what this world is like.
when we hurt, He knows. And when we hurt, He also says, I care. He is not unaffected, nor is He distant. He is the one who receives our invitation. Come and see. And He is the one about whom we read, Jesus wept. God does not try to keep a cool face. He's not some unaffected stoic. He cares. When we hurt, He hurts. When we cry, when we are in pain, He says, cast your cares on Me because I care for you. He both knows and cares. And God says also, Trust me. He's there. Reaching for us in the midst of the hurt. He does not cause the hurt, but He is able to take the hurt and transform it. He does not cause the pain. He does not cause those things that bring suffering into our lives. But He is able to invite us in the midst of it. Through it all, would you trust me? I am the God who can redeem all things. I am the God who is making all things new. When I asked Billy this week, do you mind me sharing just briefly about Michael? She said, by all means. She said, I've had to walk through that story a number of times. And she said, I am amazed at how God has used that most dark moment in my life to bring so many good things. So when God says, trust me, it's not that He's saying, I did that. And ignore that, because that seems pretty bad of me, but you can trust me. No, He's saying in the midst of it, I know and I care and you can trust me. Would you please? I can take your devastation and I can heal it. I can take your hurt and I can redeem it. So much so that he takes it into himself to heal it. Suffering is something that we all face. It's something that we all walk through. And it's something that we all ought to consider. How should we then walk through it? In the midst of the suffering, I want to encourage you, trust in God despite the lack of answers. Like Mary and Martha, run out to Him. Trust Him. 
No, we won't ever have all the answers. We won't ever know all of the whys. Most of the times the whys are simply chalked up as, well, people are evil and people do evil things. Sometimes in the midst of natural suffering, suffering in old age, suffering from bad diseases, no answers will suffice. In fact, the answer, well, we live in a fallen world, that rarely does much good. So despite the lack of answers, trust in God. Run out to Him. Embrace Him because He is waiting to embrace you in the midst of it. But also, I want to encourage you to lean on others. Don't shut them out. Surround yourself with friends. I have been, I have benefited from going through the darkest moments of my life with a plethora of friends. Friends who are able to hurt with me. Friends who are able to, to absorb the pain. Lean on others. Don't shut them out. And lastly, when you don't know what to say, say nothing. Simply be there. You should notice that even God says very little when we suffer. More importantly than saying something, He's there. In the hymn that we'll be singing in just a moment, we'll be singing a line It says, through every period of my life, thy goodness I'll pursue. There's an awful lot of good from God. There's an awful lot of benefits that we have in this world. And not only should we pursue those things with our minds and think about how faithful God has been, but not, not as a way of distracting us from pain or distracting us from suffering or distracting us from death, but we ought to be reminded of how good and faithful God has been. But also in pursuit of God's goodness, we ought to be people who try to bring about good, who work toward good, who alleviate the suffering of others. 
who hurt when others hurt. Who weep with those who weep. Who can be a sort of balm for those in pain. Through every period of my life, thy goodness I'll pursue. Let's pray.